Welcome to Entrepreneur Decoded, the show where you'll find real conversations with today's most successful entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from unforgettable personal stories to exact strategies they use on a daily basis. Here's your host, Simon Sander. Let's get into the show. I'm your host, Simon, and thank you so much for joining me. Today's featured guest is Bobby Casey. Welcome, Bobby. Hey, Simon. Thanks for having me today. Bobby is a lifelong entrepreneur, investor, and student of life. He's a believer in privacy and freedom and fights this fight through words and actions around the world. Bobby owns a company called Global Wealth Protection. It's one of those things that entrepreneurs don't really think about until it's too late. Asset protection. Bobby lives in Latvia currently, right next to Estonia where I'm from, so I'm really excited to see where this conversation goes. Bobby, tell us how you got to where you are. Yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know how much time you have here, but uh, yeah, I, I've, I am a lifelong entrepreneur. I mean, even as a kid, teenager, you know, I'm doing things, mowing grass and, you know, doing all kinds of odds and ends and side jobs, really just hustling, right? I mean, to be honest, I, I really consider myself in life a hustler. It's always like trying to do more, get more, be more, Not not from a not from the standpoint, from a materialistic standpoint, but more of the mindset of I'm always trying to improve myself and accomplish more and get better in, you know, in business and life and that sort of thing. But I've, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I'm, I'm 42 years old. I'll be 43 here in a couple of weeks. <clears throat> and I haven't had a job since I was 19. So I've, you know, a lot of people I know find the entrepreneurial path. They get there through, they have, you know, they go to school, they get the education, they go work the corporate job, they get some corporate experience, they find some niche in the marketplace, and they kind of leverage their higher income salaries and in, into, you know, something else. I was never like that. I've never actually had a real job. I say I, my last job was when I was 19, but. I mean, let's be honest. What kind of job do you have at 19, right? I mean, it's some some BS job that's, you know, nothing, right? And as far as I'm concerned, it was just it was just hustling to figure out more ways, better ways to make money. So I started my first, I call it my first real business. I mean, the first one that actually went somewhere when I was uh, 21, and then. You know, I'm always looking for other opportunities. I, I took that business and um, I bought out a few competitors, uh, smaller competitors, kind of rolled them into one company. Uh, we did that. Uh, we started out assembling bicycles for Walmart in the U.S. I mean, literally, we would show we had contract. We had a contract with Walmart. We were a, an approved Walmart vendor, service vendor. And we would show up at Walmart stores and assemble their bicycles. And then it kind of grew from there. We picked up other retailers. Then we became an in-home uh, installation provider. So if you're familiar with like Sears or Dick's Sporting Goods, we had contracts with those companies where, let, let's say Sears, for example, you buy a pool table at checkout. They say, hey, would you like this pool table installed at your home for an additional whatever, 300 bucks or whatever. We we had a national contract with Sears, so we did a lot of that for them. Same with Dick's Sporting Goods. So we became a national 
uh, installation service provider. You always wanted more. You consider yourself a hustler. Where did that drive come from, Bobby? Mm, I, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, growing up, you maybe it came from family. I don't know. My grandpa and my uncle. My uncle actually died before I was born, but you always hear the stories. But my grandpa and uncle had a, a chain of restaurants and... By the time I was born, my grandpa was already retired. But, you know, you hear the stories. And my grandpa was really a hustler, too. You know, he had the restaurants and he was doing a bunch of other things, too. He had a really unique, interesting life. And then my dad, when I was born, was a partner in a construction company. And when I was a small kid, he uh, started his own construction company. And then they started doing real estate development and stuff like that. So I was raised in a a family basically where, you know, I'm not going to say entrepreneurial was you were driven towards entrepreneurship, but you were definitely driven towards being productive. Um, You know, I've got like one of my sisters was an executive vice president for a big national company. She was very good at her job, very productive. You know, my brother actually ended up joining my my oldest brother. We we have a big age gap. He's 18 years older than me, but he ended up joining my dad's company in his early 20s and then he went on to run that company after my dad retired. And you know, so on and so forth. You know, I always we were always kind of driven to be, you know, productive. And I was we didn't have the dinner table conversations about hey, you know, where do you want to go to college and what kind of job do you want to get after college? Like that was never really a conversation. It was definitely not like frowned upon if that's what I wanted to do, but it was never like that's the path you have to take either. That makes sense? Right. So what did you talk about? Was it about weather and uh, and cars and what's happening in the world and not really about business or, or what was it? <laughs> it's funny. We talked a lot about um, business. Um, I was very interested early on in business. We talked a lot about accounting and I mean, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, business structure, like at 16 years old, I mean, I was already, I'd already been trading stocks for, I think two years by the time I was 16, I had my own trading account. I was making money at it. Um, I already knew the differences in corporate structure between C-Corp, S-Corps, LLCs, stuff like that. Um, I, I was familiar, somewhat familiar with tax planning and, and tax structure and stuff at that point as well. So those, those were conversations. We talked about real estate development. And um, I mean, we talked about even how to analyze deals, real estate deals and that sort of thing. Like it was, you know, I mean, it was. I'm not saying that's all we talked about, of course. I was also an incredibly rebellious teenager. So there was a lot of unfriendly conversations when I was a teenager as well. I guess you slowly got into business with those conversations day in and day out. You cultivated a passion for business. Uh, You mentioned being a hustler. What does being a hustler mean for you? Because that's a word that uh, gets thrown thrown around all the time in the entrepreneurship world today, especially when Gary Vaynerchuk goes around wearing hoodie and says that everybody should be hustling. You know, it's funny. I have never once listened to a Gary Vaynerchuk 
um, podcast or I know he does a lot of YouTube stuff. I've never once listened to that, but I, I know who he is. I know a lot of people like him, so I, I can't really ha- have an opinion one way or another. But that's interesting that a lot of entrepreneurs love that guy, and I think you know maybe maybe for good reason. <clears throat> um, but a hustler is just somebody who produces, who's just being productive, creating. You know, we're creator like from. I'm not creative from the art artistic perspective i'm no painter or you know um that type not a musician actually my daughter is a musician Um, my daughter's a rapper so she's a creator from an artistic perspective i'm a creator because i'm creating opportunities i'm creating jobs i'm creating businesses those types of things so to me that's all like even when i'm having like, and I'm an entrepreneur. Like, I've, I'm almost 43 years old. I've been an entrepreneur my entire adult life. And it, you know, if you're if if you're an entrepreneur, you know, there's going to be ups and downs. Like, emotionally, some people are incapable of dealing with that emotional struggle. Like, I've had like periods where I've made uh, you know really really good money, and then all of a sudden, for three, four, five months, like I'm not doing anything. And those are the emotional roller coasters that, you know, people with the, you know, the type of mindset they can't, if they can't cope with that, entrepreneurship is definitely not for them. But a hustler is somebody who, when it's tough, instead of going, you know what, I'm going to throw my hands up and go get a job. A hustler is the one who says, well, let's, let's, uh, you know, let's change courses here a little bit. Something's not working. Let's, Let's let's find another opportunity. Let's push harder. Let's you know, let's dig deeper. Let's uh, you know, maybe I need to learn this new thing that this is not working for me. A hustler creates a hustler finds the problem and creates the solution. You know, whereas, you know, somebody who doesn't have that entrepreneurial mindset might say, uh, you know, like maybe I should just like go back to work. Like I, I just recently had a client I was consulting with the other day. And. He really like his first business. He's doing really great. He's like a year into it. He's doing like something like 50 grand a month, 40 or 50 grand a month in his first business. And I told him directly, I said, listen, I think it's fantastic that in your first business, you're 12 months in, you're doing 40, 50 grand a month. I said, but you're an anomaly, my friend. Most people have multiple failures before they get to that point. I said, all I can tell you is keep pushing with what you're doing and, and keep driving forward. And there will come a day when it's going to crash for you, whatever that means. But the thing is, you've got to, you know, be able to be strong and, and stick, stick it out, right? So it's weird. It happens to entrepreneurs all the time. They make good money for a few months or, uh, or a good part of the year, and then it stops, and then it starts <laughs> starts again. It's kind of kind of like an emotional roller coaster if you if you're not used to that kind of life. It's not for everybody, no no doubt. It's absolutely not for everybody because, like I, I have another friend of mine who's really good with online business. He has an e-commerce store now, does pretty good, but he also has a full time job. He's married. He's got a kid. I, I doubt he will ever quit his job. I wish he would because he's very good in, you know, what he does with his e-commerce business. But mentally and emotionally, he's not allowed himself. Like, it's a confidence thing, right? 
for for me, if I have three months where I don't make any money, yeah, it's a little bit stressful, but I'm like, well, you know what? I, I'm actually pretty damn good at what I do, and I know I'll get a, uh, you know, and I know the cycle, right? For me, it's like, eh, I'll have a, you know, tough couple of months not making any money, but I know how it goes. Then I'll end up like with just a flood of customers for the next three months. And, and you know, you just have to think about what you're doing. Um, in his case, my buddy's case, he won't let go of the job because emotionally he can't, maybe he just doesn't have the confidence level to, you know, overcome it. I can't remember, I think it was Joe Polozzi, actually, my first ever interview. And that was something he uh, told me as well when he was just starting off Content Marketing Institute. Uh, there was no clients for a few months, and then suddenly he would get a bunch of leads, and again, and no clients. It was kind of like kind of ups and downs constantly for years and years and years, and you just have to have the trust that everything will work out because there's no safety in being an entrepreneur, and uh, that's something entrepreneurs have to be fine with. Otherwise, you need to get a 9-to-5 job. I'm going to rewind just for two seconds, by the way. There's no safety in having a job either. It's just it's a false perception. It's a false reality. You're, you don't, you're not safe in a job either. I mean, look at all the layoffs. And nowadays, people stay on a job, what, three years on average before they're fired, laid off, or move on. So there's no, there's no safety. It's really just a false, false perception anyway. In, in my mind, like if I have a down month or two, I just push harder or I, you know, write some sales copy or I go back to some of my old clients and say, hey, do me a favor. If you're happy with what I do, could you would you mind making a couple of referrals? I mean, it's just hustling. Yeah, I meant uh, having a job on the side and then side hustling. That might be safer, but maybe you're right. Uh, maybe there's no safety at all. Well, it's safer because it can it can kind of even out your income. But but then what if you didn't? I mean, think about it this way. Let's say you got a job making you know hypothetically five grand a month, and you got a side business that you don't put a lot of energy into it because you have a 40-hour-a-week job. And maybe you're making a couple of grand a month, two grand this month, five grand next month, 500 bucks the next month, and it's very up and down in your side business, right? And you can't put a lot of time and energy into it and devote the time, the, the time resources to building that side business. Well, all of a sudden, now you get laid off from your regular job now, how safe is that regular job? When you maybe you could have you could have dove it deeper into that side business, got it up to the five grand or six or eight or ten or whatever per month, and you could have you you could have had a lot more safety because you have more control over. I mean, assuming you're you're smart about your business, like you know you're not like running some stupid Amway multi-level marketing thing where you have zero control over your your future but as long as you have some control over your future then you know even these people selling products on amazon you you lose a little bit of control because amazon your marketplace but you can always add more products to 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 boost your you know boost boost your business itself too so and you know amazon is just a platform you don't have to be tied to just one platform although it is the biggest in the world now so Bobby, I really appreciate the comments. I do want to talk about your business. Um, yeah, sure. Global Wealth Protection. Um, it's a really interesting company. Um, to a few people in the audience who don't know what it is and what you guys do, could you walk us through that? Sure. Basically, what we do is we teach people how to internationalize their business, their wealth, and their life. That's that's the main that's the main point. 
So who's your typical customer? Let's say I come to you. How can you help me? Well, I have a few different like categories of customers. Um, right now, my biggest target customer base, for some reason, and I say for some reason, I think it's clearly because of the trend, but I'm getting a lot of location independent entrepreneurs or a lot of, you know, people call them digital nomads or what, whatever, but I'm getting a lot of people that run location independent businesses. They don't really know how to properly structure their company. Imagine you're a Canadian. You are, let's say, uh, you have an e-commerce business selling all over the world. You're a Canadian citizen and you're living in Thailand, right? You don't have the slight, you know how to make money in your business, but you don't know how to structure your business and how to minimize your risk. You know, like I just had a new client a couple of days ago. The guy sells toys, kids' toys. And this guy lives, he's in a, let me think. He was either, it's just a few days ago. Now I'm drawing a blank. He was either American or Canadian. I can't remember now. Let's, let's say he was American and he lives, um, he lives, he lives abroad. He lives in South America right now. He has a pretty high risk business. I mean, he has a huge risk of litigation. Anytime you're selling anything children related, you have a huge risk of litigation. Um, I mean, it, it does, it doesn't matter. You can sell fluffy teddy bears and somebody's going to let their kid try to eat it and choke on it and then they're going to sue you, right? So, you always have a huge risk of litigation, but he doesn't, he wanted to minimize his risk in case he gets sued. He has some trademarks, um, that he wants to protect and then he wants to minimize his taxes. These are all points that are, they're hard to accomplish if you don't know what you're doing. And, and you're, it's kind of like, it's kind of like doing maintenance on your own car. Let's say you make quarter million dollars a year and you can get your oil changed for 30 bucks. What, why in the world would you spend your own time changing your oil for 30 bucks when your time is valuable enough to make $250,000 a year, right? So focus on what you're good at. It's all, you know, proper division of labor. Outsource what you're not good at and focus your time and energy on what you're good at. You get a lot of digital nomads right now. Is that your typical customer or is it someone else? Well, I mean, I, right now, these pe- these people are... Eight out of ten. Interesting. Of my new clients. Why do you think that is? Well, because technically, technologically, I mean, it's much easier to be a digital nomad. It's, you know, yeah, I mean, it's always been possible. There's always people that have traveled and lived and worked all over the world. But now you can do it with a, you know, an, an ultra book, a smartphone and a, and a headset. Right. You can and it's cheap. You can communicate with Google Voice and Skype and you can get SIM cards for your cell phone everywhere in the world. It's cheap to get data. You can get high speed data everywhere. You can sit at hotels and coffee shops and apartments anywhere in the world and conduct your business. You can you can outsource some non-critical functions of your business to outsourcers in the Philippines or India at a very low cost. You can. You can go online and it, let's say you're in a product business, you can outsource your manufacturing to companies in Thailand or China or Malaysia. 
I mean, everything's easy to do. I mean, I, I have countless clients now, especially in product businesses, easily doing a million plus a year in revenue with zero employees. I mean, they outsource some things, but zero actual employees. And they're living, you know, living uh, this nomadic lifestyle. So I think it's more popular now only because it's technologically easier. When you started Global Wealth Protection, did you see a need in the market or were you just passionate about it? Or what was the motivation behind starting it? I, I mean, it was my need. I, I, I saw my need. Um, so back when I started the business, well, before I started, let's rewind. Before I started the business, I had the assembly installation company. We were doing a you know a fair amount of business, and I had some real estate development stuff. I owned warehouse and some office buildings and stuff like that, and I also owned a restaurant at the time. So I had some fairly significant assets, um, a pretty good income, and I started – I don't know. For whatever reason, I just thought, you know, I need to make sure I'm protecting myself. In case, you know, I, for one, my, my dad was an accountant by training. So he, he ran his business, but from an accounting standpoint, I mean, and it, it's the accountant's job to, you know, find all the tax loopholes and minimize taxes. So that was always intriguing for me ever since I was a teenager. Um, the, but the asset protection part also was intriguing because I, I truly believe I'm passionate about entrepreneurship and that I believe entrepreneurs are the economic engine of the world. I do not believe, you know, governments are, to me, to me, governments are not the economic engine of the world. They're nothing more than sand in the wheels of productivity. So basically, entrepreneurs are the ones that really drive economic productivity. And it also, entrepreneurs also are the drivers of, you know, improvements in the world. Like people talk about, you know, I can't believe, you know, we outsource labor to the Philippines for $5 an hour. You know, that's just robbery. That's ridiculous. But that's, to me, that's an idiotic statement because if you take somebody in the Philippines who was working in a rice farm for 10 bucks a day, I mean, I'm just making numbers up. And all of a sudden they go from 10 bucks a day and now they have the opportunity to make 50 bucks a day. I mean, that is a huge improvement in quality life. And that stuff comes from entrepreneurs who find those opportunities. So passion, my passion is about, you know, entrepreneurship. And where I found the niche is tax planning and tax planning and asset protection structuring helps the entrepreneur keep more of his productive capital in his pocket, which gives him the ability to grow more, which in general is good for society as a whole. Yeah, people who don't understand entrepreneurship say that all the time. Why do entrepreneurs hire from third world countries? Well, most of the time, entrepreneurs do people a favor by hiring them because they have to work really crappy jobs otherwise and make almost no money whatsoever. Something I do want to cover is growth and how you got your first customer for Global Wealth Protection. Could you walk me through that story? For Global Wealth Protection. Um, well, so rewind back. Uh, I told you I had uh, the installation company. I had a restaurant. I had some real estate. 
I decided at that time I needed to create an asset protection structure for myself personally because I saw myself at risk. And so I did a lot of research at the time and I ended up meeting a guy who uh, became my mentor and to this day is still kind of a mentor. We talk every once in a while, but I ended up meeting a guy who helped me create this asset protection structure for myself. And from there, this was back in 2001, I believe, or two, 2001 or two, something like that. I think 2001. I developed it for myself then, but it was so fascinating to me. I started talking to all of my friends, uh, you know, not specifically about what I did, but basically all, all of my friends are a or entrepreneurs. Most everybody I know is some some type of hustler in some way, shape, or form. And that you know that you probably heard the the saying you're kind of the average of your five closest friends. Um, I don't know for whatever reason I tend to only associate with other people who are you know running some type of business or they're you know they're hustling in some way, shape, or form. But even back then. And I had a few of my friends say, well, that sounds interesting. I should probably do something like that myself. So it was all a little bit of word of mouth. And at the time, I was kind of utilizing my mentor. I would have a friend come in and I would say, okay, this is what we're looking at. I'd say, let me get back to you. I'd go talk to my mentor. We'd put a plan together and implement it together, and I would go through him. That was kind of how it went for a couple of years, a few years, actually. I was just... It was pretty informal at that point, um, just working with you know people I knew, and then around 2007, I started the process of selling my installation company. I, I closed on that deal in 2008, and I decided, okay, you know, I need to do something, you know, that's interesting to me. And I need something that, you know, can make some money. It's more interesting to me. And I, I just talked to a few people and I just, you know, it's kind of funny. Like I, I had some people tell me, hey, you should write a blog. You've got some pretty interesting, unique ideas. You should write articles and write a blog. I remember I wrote my first article back in 2008. I literally copy and pasted everybody I know, their email address in the BCC line in my Outlook. And I just wrote it in the in the email. I had a bunch of my friends email me back. Hey, that was a pretty good article. I didn't know you were a writer. And then also had a bunch of friends writing me back going, Hey, why the hell are you spamming me with your crap? Right. So <laughs> I still get these emails every week. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was kind of funny, but w- when that happened, like it was just at the time, like I, w- I already had money. I was making some income off investments. I sold my company. So it was kind of a slow process. And, I, I mean, I literally did not know anything of anything of anything about, you know, info marketing or making money in that way and reaching an audience in that way. Now I've gotten I, I can't say I'm I'm a, a big expert in it now, but, you know, I've gotten a bit better. You know, we publish a lot of content every week and, you know, we do we launch products. And we have you know, like info products, but like we just launched our offshore banking report a few weeks ago. Um, we have our global IRA product and stuff like that. Those are all like info type products. We got a new product coming out 
a do-it-yourself offshore trust kit, stuff like that. We we do through email marketing and affiliate promotions and stuff like that. But the first customer was really just, you know, word of mouth, friends, and and then I spammed all my friends with email. And then somebody at some point told me, you know, your deliverability is going to be terrible if you don't stop just copy and pasting that in your Outlook. What you you need a you need a you know um, a mail provider and I, I don't I don't remember who I it took me like a year to get to the point that I realized I need like a mail provider and then I I started using one of them I can't remember at the time but it's interesting uh, how you got started and now if um, if I go to your website globalwealthprotection.com uh, you do put a lot of effort into content marketing and you have all kinds of funnels in place if you had to choose one marketing strategy that really works for you to acquire new customers what would that be mm. man that's that's tough to say because I, I get a lot of referral business um, which might be why I'm getting a lot of people in the digital nomad space because I've done a lot of work for those guys and they tend to refer me to all their buddies that are also in that space. Um, I just did a workshop last Friday in uh, Medellin, Colombia, and I, it was all I did a workshop for digital nomad guys. It was all all digital nomad guys. It was a small like half day event. But it was all talking about tax planning and company structure for nomad guys. Um, but I get a lot of word of mouth. Most of my bigger clients come from word of mouth, but we do lots of stuff. You know, we do a lot of content marketing. Our articles get shared in different places. We got, you know, I don't know, between Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, we got, I don't know, 20 or 30,000 followers, 20 something, I think, thousand followers. Um, you know, we we do a lot of that stuff. Um, we run Facebook ads for some of our info products, you know, stuff like that. Um, I, I, I can't even tell you where, which is the best. I, I think the point is you have to do all of it nowadays. People have such a tiny, tiny, tiny attention span. If you only do one thing now, nobody's going to nobody's going to remember you. But if they see you in five different places, you 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 get burned into their brain. So to pick one, I, I don't think you can pick one anymore. Yeah, I think you should get rid of that question. I think you're completely right. Uh, people don't usually buy the first time when they see your product or service or whatever you're selling. They're going to remember you from Facebook ads, maybe a podcast you did, an interview, maybe a blog post post they read, and then finally months or uh, even a year after they might, might make a purchase. So it's kind of hard like you said, to just pick uh -huh. one thing. Nobody ever buys from me on the first time, that's for sure, because other other than some of our cheaper, cheaper info products, our products are pretty expensive. I mean... How much do they sell for? I mean, like our offshore banking report's cheap. It's 19 bucks. You know, that's like a, you know, it's a 30-page it's report on, you know, what we recommend for offshore bank accounts all over the world. It's It's a very good, very detailed report. But all of our upsells for there in the business, they're all high, higher end products. We register companies for people. We do offshore trusts, private interest foundations. We help people find investment opportunities. We do consulting. I mean, these can be very, you know, 
thousands and thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars of, you know, products. They're not, you know, they're, it, it's not like buying, you know, the pack of bubble gum at the grocery store. It's definitely not an impulse buy. Yeah, definitely not. Do they usually buy a cheap info product first to get more familiar with you or how does it work? Um, well, we have, you know, we have our, like our $19 offshore banking report. We have our membership program, which is 600 bucks to join the membership program. Members get access to all of our content. They can also get um, unlimited 30 minute consultations with me. Um, it's usually a progression, right? A lot of times, sometimes they don't do anything with the offshore banking report. They never found it. Um, somebody referred them and said, Hey, you need to talk to this guy. They email us. They want to set up a consultation. We have the option. You can either, I don't do free consultations anymore. I did years ago. I don't, I don't do free initial consultations anymore. I'm too busy. I just, there's no point for me to do. A lot of people in my space do free consultations. I don't do them anymore because I don't need to. So you can pay for a 30 minute consultation from me, which is 200 bucks for a 30 minute consultation. Or you can join our membership program for 600 bucks and you could get a, a consultation every week if you want. In addition to all the content, and then you also get discounts on other products and services, access to live events, stuff like that. So it's like a progression. People email us, hey, I heard you're really good. What should we do? We email them back. You can two options. You can do a consultation or join our membership program, blah, blah, blah. Most people join the membership program. And When you're just starting off in consulting, uh, it might be a good idea to do uh, free uh, consulting sessions with people 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and eventually getting a few leads here and there. But uh, you got to be really careful of how you spend your time and how you filter through with the people. Uh, Bobby, to wrap up, tell me what future holds for your company, let's say next year. We're just going to come out with a couple of new info products. We, like I said before, we have a new product we're coming out with. It's a trust kit. Um, basically, it's a do-it-yourself offshore trust kit where you you can basically avoid paying a lawyer thousands and thousands of dollars to draft a trust deed for you and set up an offshore trust. Um, we should be coming out with that pretty soon. Um, I'll probably need to update my offshore banking report just because that stuff is pretty fluid. It's always, it's changing every few months anyway. Um, we'll launch a couple of more info products and to be honest, just kind of keep, keep plugging along. No, no major, no major expansion planned. It's not really, it's not really necessary. Um, I, I'm not trying to create a multi-billion dollar company. I don't need, I don't need that. You know, we we just bring on a few new clients, you know, every month. That's it. Bobby, I really appreciate you sharing ins and outs of your business. And I think people listening right now got so much value out of it. I want to switch gears a bit um, and uh, talk about you personally. You live in Latvia right now and you have been successful. You have been an entrepreneur for a long time. I always want to understand the mindset and what do successful people do daily? Do you have a morning routine? <laughs> It depends. I've traveled a lot. I mean, in the past, in the past five weeks, I've been in, uh, Georgia, Tbilisi, the country, Georgia, Tbilisi. I was, uh, 
in New York. I was in North Carolina. I was in Columbia and then back in Latvia in a span of five weeks. So the, <laughs> the difficulty there is maintaining any kind of routine. I do have, when I'm in Latvia, I do have a bit more of a routine. Um, I do um, Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. I do uh, jujitsu training first thing in the morning for a couple hours. Um, and then uh, I, I, I'm taking language lessons now, so I do those on Tuesdays and Thursdays in the mornings. That's kind of my morning routine. It's Latvian, right? Yeah. How is it coming? Lute <clears throat> Lavi. <laughs> very good very good saldiums 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 yeah yeah so i could tell you're fluent in your latvian I, I, uh. <laughs> i think i know like 20 or 30 uh estonian words from my time living in estonia but that's the thing actually living in estonia and latvia everyone speaks english so well yeah. it makes you kind of lazy to, to learn it so i never really made an effort to learn. Bobby, tell me, how does your life look like today? How does your average day go? You know, wake up, wake up in the morning. I usually read first thing in the morning. I mean, well, not on my, not on my training days. I usually come back from training and then I read for a while. Um, coffee every morning, <laughs> coffee and breakfast every morning. And I do a lot of reading. Um, I, I do have a fixed schedule for my client consultations. Um, I make I only have certain time slots available on my calendar, so I control my my schedule in a way that I you know I'm not just available anytime and every time for client consultations. I do schedule on my I use calendar a lot if that if if you're picking up on that. Like I even like schedule my free time on my calendar so nothing gets filled in my calendar because I use a scheduling tool for my clients. My clients if they're if they're members of our membership program. They can actually go in and schedule their own appointments using a scheduling tool. And then I also have uh, my personal assistant that books appointments and stuff like that. Like this show, he booked, you know, your, your radio show with us. Um, but I, I go into my calendar and block off times that I'm, you know, I, I want to have for myself. Um, you know, for example, Friday afternoon. I don't, I don't work Friday afternoon. Like it's, I'm just not going to. I, it's if that's time for me and time to spend, you know, with with my girlfriend or if I'm with my kids, time to spend with my kids. Really scheduling your life out works really well. I was always a big fan of uh, long to do lists, but I've I've noticed that actually scheduling everything out, free time, work time, when I record my podcasts, when I write my blog posts, it really gives me freedom. Well, yeah, right. I I actually do in my in my calendar. I. I use Google Calendar and I use that calendar like it's religiously like I have blocks of time like on certain days I have let's say 9 a.m. to noon is for working on a certain type of project on Tuesday for example and then I have a fixed time I'm going to make available for lunch that's blocked off so no one can go in and schedule an appointment on my calendar And then I have, you know, based on time zones, I have, you know, fixed times during the day. And I try, like, um, my t I have three kids. My oldest daughter lives in London, and my two boys live with their mom in North Carolina. They're both school age. My daughter's an adult. She lives on her on her own in London. But I go see my boys um, quite often. And when I'm there, I actually block off the times on my calendar. To like, for example, 
I picked my my nine year old up from school at two twenty five p.m. Every day of the week, I have from two o'clock to five o'clock scheduled as non work time because I will pick him up from school and we do something every day when we get out out of school with him. And then I will have a couple hours in the evening. I will block off for work time, and then after eight, nothing. That is a good way to live. Um, it, it it gives you some consistency. So I guess. When you ask about routine, I do have a routine, but it depends on where I am. Bobby, I do really appreciate you coming on. I know how busy you are, and um, it was a great conversation. If you could leave our audience with one final takeaway, one final thought um, from everything we talked about, uh, what would that be? You only you only uh, lose when you quit, or you only fail when you quit. You could also say um, that's to me that's the biggest biggest takeaway: persistence. Persistence is key. Um, you know, everybody hears about the uh, overnight success. What they don't realize is that was like nine years in the making, right? Um, everybody hears, you know, the sensationalized stories about how, you know, the 22-year-old kid built the, the SaaS company and sold it to Google for a billion bucks. They don't realize that kid started learning how to program when he was 14, and he'd been building that software application, you know, for eight years. They just see, oh, my God, he's 22. He made a billion bucks. And those are also few and far between because I've recently been having this conversation with a few people, too. Those sensational stories make great headlines. But what what people don't realize is most people achieve wealth $100 at a time or 100 euros, or whatever currency you want to go on. But most people achieve wealth 100 bucks at a time. And that's kind of a different mentality than what the sensational media wants you to believe. You know, you look at it like, man, I just need to build this software company for a couple of years and sell it for a billion bucks. Those make great headlines, but the reality is most, the vast majority of millionaires have multiple streams of income, and they become wealthy because they make a little bit of money in several different places, and they make it a hundred bucks at a time. Yeah, you're right. Overnight success never happens, and uh, nobody should get stuck in reading those headlines and kind of getting depressed. Oh, am I gonna make it? Just keep doing your thing, and you'll be fine. Overnight success is a myth. Bobby, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks, Simon. Enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneur Decoded. For killer resources and free content, go to entrepreneurdecoded.com.